0: This past week, a letter to the editor was printed in the New York Times, which discusses the spate of attacks on Jewish people that have taken place in this country in the past couple of weeks. The attacks, one more violent and vile than the next, were done in response to the war between Israel and Gaza. I'm going to quote excerpts. For decades, Israel has tried to erase the line between it and the Jewish people in this It has been largely assisted by the Jewish establishment in the U.S. and Canada, which has often made loyalty to Israel a litmus test for whether or not a person is a, quote, good Jew. Within the Jewish community, criticism of Israel was likely to get one labeled a self-hating Jew. This commitment to Israel had real political consequences. It was largely on the strength of the pro-Israel lobby that the U.S. had provided Israel with billions of dollars of aid and unlimited military supplies. Even more, when Israel has unleashed this violence against the Palestinians, the Jewish establishment in the U.S. has raced to close ranks behind it and provide it with support and political power. The fact that Israel and the Jewish establishment have closely constructed these mutual binding ties is not surprising, doubtless. Many American Jews honestly believe in Israel as a place of sanctuary and have been willing to rationalize its violence for many years out of a sense of personal danger. Doubtless, many American Jews honestly believe in Israel as a place of sanctuary. But when you diligently erase the line between Israel, a state, and a religion, meaning the Jewish people, why is it surprising that some hate-filled people believe there is no distinction? This does not justify anti-Semitism, but it does explain why this is happening. The Jewish establishment needs to make clear that the Jewish people and Israel are not synonymous. Quote. The truth is, this has been happening for much longer than decades. In fact, it has been one of the cornerstones of Zionism since its inception and has caused tremendous surges of anti-Semitism during the past century. Both the Jews and Zionists have known this. Jews have objected to it, and Zionists have continued doing it anyway. On this podcast, I'm going to present the history and the data. The history of Zionism conflating Jews with its political ideology and its state, Israel, and two, the data that shows that Zionism, because of this, increases anti Semitism. Welcome to Committing High Reason. A podcast where we dissect important topics such as good versus evil, religion versus atheism, Judaism versus Zionism, and our pet peeve, political propaganda. Committing High Reason will give you tools to strengthen your intellectual independence, enhance your critical thinking, and hopefully acquire some very new perspectives. Now, here's your host, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. There is something unique to the state of Israel that doesn't apply to any other country in the entire world. And it's this thing that is responsible for a lot of the anti-Semitism that we're seeing today in wake of the Gaza War, and it is also it is also responsible for much of the controversy that Israel finds itself embroiled in, and other countries don't. All other countries in the world claim to represent and to be the country of their citizens. America is the country of the American citizens, Italy, the Italian citizens, and so on. Israel is unique in that it claims not to be the country, not to be the nation state of the Israelis, but rather to be the nation state of all Jews all over the world. The nation state law says it clearly. It's a basic law, which in Israel is more like a part of the constitution. Israel doesn't have a constitution. Instead, they have basic laws which have uh, power more than regular laws. If you want to overturn them, you mean you need a larger majority of lawmakers to do so than, than you would for overturning regular laws. The nation-state law says, quote, the right to exercise national self-determination, in Israel it means, quote, is unique to the Jewish people. It also establishes, quote, Jewish settlement as a national value. Israel claims to be the Jewish state, the state of the Jews. This is different than, let's say, an Arab state or a Muslim state, because there are many Muslim states, but there is no state that claims to be the nation state of all the Muslims, to represent all the Muslims in the world. So when the Zionists say that there are so many Muslim states and only one Jewish state, that's disingenuous because those Muslim states are not Muslim states in the sense that Israel is a Jewish one, or that Israel claims to be a Jewish one. Israel claims to be the nation-state of all the Jewish people. Not that it's a state run by Jewish people or a state run according to Jewish law. It's certainly not run according to Jewish law. It claims to be something unique. This claim is unique to Israel. It is the nation-state of the Jewish people, including my nation-state. And I'm an American citizen. In Israel, according to Israeli law, there is no such thing as an Israeli nationality. There is Israeli citizenship. But there is a Jewish nationality. And there is no Israeli one. There is no Christian nationality either. It's only the Jewish religion that became a nationality. According to the ideology of Zionism, which Israel is based on, the Jewish people are a nation in and of themselves. And two, Israel is the state of that nation. Those are the two main points of Zionism. One, the Jews are a nationality, the Jews are a nation, a political people, which is something that Zionism invented. And two, that the state of Israel is the nation state of that nationality. This is unique to the state of Israel. There is no parallel in any country in the world. The closest is something like the Vatican, which represents the Catholics, but that's from a religious perspective, not from a national and political one. This is not merely unique to Israel, but it's so far away from the national conception of any other country. You have, let's say, Italy. There are Italian-Americans here in the United States who, once upon a time, they or their families lived in Italy. They have their roots in Italy. Yet, Italy would never claim to represent politically or to be the state of the Italian-Americans over here, an antecedent, yes. Um, The former place of these Italian-Americans, yes. The Italian-Americans have a connection to Italy, yes. An affinity for it, yes, no problem. But that Italy should claim to represent them now, politically, nationally, no. No such thing. Not only does Israel claim to be the nation state of those Jews that no longer live in Israel, who are American citizens, let's say American Israelis, but of Jews who never lived in Israel, whose families never lived in Israel, who don't plan on living in Israel, who don't want to live in Israel, and have don't want anything to do with Israel. I'm one of those Jews. And Israel claims to be my nation-state, the nation-state of all the Jews. There is no such thing anywhere in the world. There is no Arab state like that. There is no Muslim state like that. There is no such thing. And this is what makes Israel unique. In March 2015, when Benjamin Netanyahu came to America to make a speech in Congress, trying to convince the U.S. lawmakers to oppose President Obama's Iran deal, he said he was coming not merely as the head of the state of Israel, but as quote, an emissary of all the citizens of Israel, even those who don't agree with me, and of the entire Jewish people. End quote. The entire Jewish people. No head of state anywhere would come to a foreign country and claim that he represents people in that country and in countries over which he has no jurisdiction. In September 2011, at the 66th General Assembly of the UN, Netanyahu stated, quote, On behalf of Israel and the Jewish people, I extend a hand again today. As the Prime Minister of Israel, I speak for a hundred generations of Jews. He speaks for a hundred generations of Jews. Did those hundred generations of Jews vote for him? Were they citizens of his country? No. In the 2015 Saban Forum, Netanyahu said about himself, quote, You cannot be a leader of the Jewish people and not have hope. On October 21st, 2015, Isaac Herzog scolded Netanyahu for saying that the Mufti of Jerusalem was the one that gave Hitler the idea to kill the Jews. Quote, Netanyahu has forgotten that he is not only the Israeli prime minister, but also the prime minister of the Jewish people. End quote the prime minister of the Jewish people. Just a year before that, Naftali Bennett, who then was the head of the National Religious Party, Bayat HaYehudi, wrote on his Facebook site in response to an anonymous Obama administration official who referred to Netanyahu as a coward using a nasty colloquialism, quote, The prime minister of Israel is not a private person. He is the leader of the Jewish state and the entire Jewish people. This is not Netanyahu talking about himself anymore. This is Isaac Herzog and the Labor Party on his left and Naftali Bennett on his right. The Times of Israel, October 4th, 2015, had an article entitled, quote, Netanyahu is the leader of the Jewish world, says top aid. It describes a Sabbath sermon in a Manhattan synagogue given by Ellie Groner, then the Director General of the Office of the Prime Minister of Israel. It quotes Groner saying, in regard to a conversation Netanyahu had with the Secretary General of the United Nations then, Ban Ki-moon, quote, I wish that every Jew in the world would have been in that room to witness the eloquence with which the, quote, leader of the Jewish people, the Prime Minister is by design the leader of the Jewish world, end quote, spoke out on their behalf. The leader of the Jewish people. The prime minister is by design the leader of the Jewish world. Now, not only does Netanyahu insist that this is true, but he demands that everyone else, including non-Jews, recognize this as well. Quoted in the New York Times, October 11, 2010, he said, quote, If the Palestinian leadership will say unequivocally to its people that it recognizes Israel as the homeland of the Jewish people, I will be ready to convene my government and request a further suspension of construction, meaning construction of the settlements, for a fixed period. He was referring to the expired 10-month construction moratorium. This is unique to the state of Israel. No other country in the world believes this about itself. This is not new. The Zionist movement, from its inception, has arrogated to itself the right to speak in the name of all the Jewish people, to be the representatives of world Jewry. Theodor Herzl proclaimed in his book, The Jewish State, that the Zionist movement is actually the legal representatives of all the Jews. And mind you, in those days, most Jews were against Theodor Herzl's movement. Nonetheless, they are the legal representatives of world Jewry, based on, quote-unquote, An ancient Roman law called negotiorum gestio, which means that if a piece of property has nobody to protect it, somebody with the owner's interest in mind can come become its manager temporarily. Theodor Herzl said that the Zionist movement is the official managers of the Jewish people and has a right to speak in its name. And indeed, he went to heads of state and even the Pope claiming that he represents the entire Jewish people and speaks in their name. Aaron David Gordon, a contemporary of Herzl's, of the pagan land-worshipping Zionist school of thought, said, quote, it is our aim, meaning the aim of Zionism, quote, to make Jewish Palestine the mother country of world Jewry, with Jewish communities in the diaspora its colonies, and not the reverse. Now, of course, none of this is true, and it wasn't just Herzl who engaged in this charade. The Zionist movement knew that it really did not represent the Jewish people in their ideology and strove to overcome this weakness at any price. It was a unique weakness in Zionism, not shared by any other liberation movement in history. It was the result of the synthetic nature of Zionist Jewish identity. There's no way to tie the state of Israel or the Zionist movement to the Jewish people living scattered around the world in the way other nation states are tied to their indigenous populations. The only way, therefore, that Israel could be considered the Jewish state was by consensus, if the Jews wanted to be. Because there's no natural connection between the Jewish people and the modern state of Israel. Therefore, only if the Jewish people decide that Israel is their state, could it actually become so. And this means that The Zionists are dependent on the attitude of world Jewry for their status. Italy does not need the recognition of people who live outside of its borders in order to be considered Italy, because Italians are organically tied to Italy. And if all the French people who live in America would renounce their Frenchness, France is still France. Their renouncing their country doesn't change the country, it only changes their their own status as its nationals. Israel is different. If world Jewry would not recognize Israel as their state, then there's no way it can lay claim to being the state of the Jewish people. It can lay claim to being the state of the Israelis, which, of course, it is, the way Italy is the state of the Italians and France of the French. But it cannot claim to be the state of the Jews unless the Jews want it to be. And in order for that to have happened in the pre-state days, the ones who wanted the state, meaning the Zionists, had to be considered the representatives of world Jewry. Otherwise, Their movement would never have been considered what they wanted it to be considered, namely the national movement of the Jewish people, and instead it would be considered a bunch of Zionists trying to get themselves a state and transform themselves from Jews into new Hebrews, which was actually the reality. This is why it is so important, vital, for Zionists to pretend that the whole world, all the Jews are Zionists. Which of course they're not, a recent survey in a Orthodox Jewish magazine surveyed Orthodox Jews, including Zionist Orthodox Jews, and in the totality a majority of Orthodox Jews claimed they are not Zionists. But Zionism needs the world to think that all Jews are Zionists and only fringe groups are not, because if there are Jews that are not Zionists, then Israel is not the state of the Jews. It's the state of the Zionists. And this is why they recruit people to move to Israel or to become Zionists. In the December 1914 edition of the Zionist magazine, the Maccabean, there was an advertisement by the Jewish agency that that was trying to recruit Jews to become Zionists and give their dues to the Zionist organization. They made the dues a shekel. The ad read, quote, let it, meaning let the Zionist movement, not speak in the name of a mi- minority, but for a majority of the Jewish people. Only thus will our words be taken as the utterance of the Jewish people. Therefore, go out among your brethren and urge them to enroll in our organization by becoming a shekel payer. If you are a Zionist, also become a missionary among those who are not yet Zionists. Make it your business to ask every Jew you know, are you a Jew? If you are a J- Are a Jew tell him, you must be a Zionist. And if you are a Zionist, at least pay your shekel. Maintaining this charade wasn't easy. Most Jews were not interested in Zionism when it first appeared on the scene. And among those who were supportive of the creation of a state, many, even among the non-religious Jews, were interested in doing so solely because of humanitarian reasons to find a place uh, for the Jews to live safely, not idealistic reasons. But there were other reasons Jews opposed it. Besides the orthodox objections on religious grounds, the whole idea of Zionism, never mind creating a state, that too, but the whole idea of Zionism contravenes Judaism. But creating a state for Jews creates a dual loyalty problem. Are the Jews supposed to be loyal to the state of the Jews, or are the Jews supposed to be loyal to the state of their citizenship, or to both? I would refer the listener to our very first podcast, for a discussion of this issue at length. Recently, just recently, Jonathan Pollard had said, all Jews have dual loyalty, whether they know it or not, and he recommended, he said it was a good thing, that all American Jews should spy on America for Israel, like he did. And so the American Jewish community was disturbed at the ramifications for American Jewry of the Zionist claim to be creating what they called a Jewish state. For example... The weekly newspaper, The American Israelite, refers to Zionism as a pernicious agitation that would undermine the status of the Jews in their various countries of residence. The Jewish Quarterly Review said quite correctly that, quote, "...the characteristic peril of Zionism is that it is the natural and abiding ally of anti-Semitism and its most powerful justification." The American Jewish Congress was then a powerful organization that the Zionists relied on for support, both in terms of cash flow as well as political connections in the United States. It was not an orthodox Jewish organization, but anti zionist for both ideological and practical reasons. The AJC feared that a Jewish state would lead to charges of dual loyalty against the Jews and would heighten anti-Semitism. Therefore, In 1948, when Israel invited the AJC to comment on the proposed draft of the Israeli Constitution, they never did make an Israeli constitution, by the way, the AJC suggested that they refer to it only as the State of Israel and never refer to it as the Jewish State. In addition, they said, quote, The oath of office should pledge the incumbent to serve the welfare of the people of Israel instead of, as proposed, to the welfare of the Jewish people, end quote. Also in 1948, the American Jewish Congress demanded of Israel that they, quote, avoid any pronouncements from which it might be inferred that the state of Israel regards itself as the spokesman for Jews of the world or for any Jewish community outside of its borders, end quote. The AJC was concerned about Israel's call for Aliyah, meaning that Jews move from their place of residence to Israel. That, too, is indicative of Jews being foreigners in their own countries. At that time, the AJC was a powerful organization, and Israel needed its support. Then, it wasn't yet the case that Jews in America cow so easily to Israel's agenda. Israel didn't have enough power over American Jews, and American Jews were not scared sufficiently of Israel, of the Zionists, not to speak out. Thus, Israel, in response to the AJC's demands, assured them that, quote, it would not represent itself as the spokesman of world Jewry or seek to promote large-scale immigration from the U.S. Reports of betrayal by the Zionists were not long in coming. Information that Ben-Gurion was propagandizing for aliyah of American youth, to the point of even threatening to appeal to the youth even over parental objections, reached the AJC, who then hinted that if Israel campaigns for Jews to leave the U.S.A., they will stop their support for Israel. Jacob Blaustein told Israel's ambassador to the U.S., then Eliyahu Lot and its U.N. representative, then Abba Iban, that the AJC would oppose any interference by Israel in the internal affairs of American Jewry and, quote, the propagation of Jewish nationalism in the United States. Proskauer then wrote a letter to Ben-Gurion himself, let me read you from that letter. Quote, Obviously, people like myself cannot be expected to ask for American contributions to funds intended in part to achieve such an un-American aim as the emigration of all American Jews to Israel. Nor can we sit silent under the attacks that will follow shortly unless this situation is corrected. I implore you, to issue a statement modifying your position and categorically disclaiming any intention on the part of the State of Israel to interfere with the life of American Jewry. End quote. My, have things changed since then. But in those days, Israel was not strong enough to defy the Jewish people. Nonetheless, the American Jewish Congress continued to be worried about anti-Semitism that was generated by the existence of the state of Israel and the perception that it was the Jewish state. In 1950, Blaustein wrote, quote, Harm has been done to the morale and to some extent the sense of security of the American Jewish community through the unwise and unwarranted statements and appeals which ignore the feelings and aspirations of American Jewry, end quote. The American Jews felt unsafe because of Israel calling itself the Jewish state. The AJC's executive committee stated in the same year that, quote, sympathetic though we are with the upbuilding of Israel, we have nonetheless realized that the new state could create serious problems for us, end quote. No kidding. And the problems are not only for us. Blaustein told a lot that it is not in Israel's best interests to agitate amongst American Jews in the interests of a world Jewish nationalist philosophy. American Jewry will not appreciate it, and for its own sake, Israel needs a strong, independent American Jewry. And yet, despite its assurances to the contrary, Israel continued to agitate for mass aliyah from America being portrayed The ingathering of the exiles, as the Zionists still call it today, being portrayed as the primary Zionist ideal, even denigrating those Jews who did not want to move to Israel as second-class Jews. Repeatedly, the American Jews told Israel not to act in a way that would put them in danger. And repeatedly, Israel promised not to encourage Mass Aliyah or claim that Israel represents Jews outside of Israel. And repeatedly, Israel betrayed those promises. In August 1950, the American Jewish Congress finally squeezed out of Ben-Gurion an explicit written agreement. Ben-Gurion wrote, The Jews of the United States, as a community and as individuals, have only one political attachment, and that is the United States of America. They owe no political allegiance to Israel the State of Israel represents and speaks only on behalf of its own citizens and in no way presumes to represent or speak in the name of Jews who are citizens of any other country, end quote. Needless to say, Ben-Gurion had no intention of keeping his word, which was given only in order to avoid antagonizing the AJC. In 1960, Blaustein was forced to complain to Ben-Gurion once more about Definitive violations, he called them, of Ben-Gurion's agreement. He listed three particularly blatant ones. The first, regarding Israel's notes addressed to the United States, British, and other governments regarding swastikas plastered as graffiti in those countries. Said Blaustein, Israel should have confined itself to discussing the issue with American communities in those countries. Israel has no business, nor do American Jews have an interest and having Israel mix into anti-Semitism in our countries. They don't help. Associating us with a foreign country only hurts us. The second, General Moshe Dayan's March 9, 1960 statement in Canada that, quote, the government of Israel should not only represent the people of Israel, but the interests of all Jews. End quote. The third, Foreign Minister, then Foreign Minister Golda Meir's reply to the delegation of the Anglo-American Jewish Association, which resulted in the startling headlines in the Jewish National Post on April fifteenth, nineteen sixty. The headline read, "Israel will continue to speak for world Jewry." Blaustein added, "I feel I can venture to say." that you cannot expect diplomatic and financial cooperation from even friends, including me, when understandings with them and principles dear to them are violated or ignored. Once again, Israel reassured Blaustein that it speaks and acts only on behalf of its citizens. But Zionism's strategy vis-a-vis world's Jewry to get Jews to become Zionists has always been placate and wait, placate and wait. And wait. Ben Gurion and the state of Israel had no intention of acting in the interests and the demands of American Jewry to just stay out of their business and stop causing them trouble. Israel insisted on being, Zionism insists that Israel be the nation state of the Jewish people. And slowly but surely, they established themselves in the eyes of the world as such. This process of getting Israel. To be perceived as the nation-state of the Jews is an ongoing process and still evolving even today. In 1968, at the 28th Zionist Congress, the Zionists came up with what they called the Jerusalem Program, which described the goals of contemporary Zionism, the first of which is, quote, the unity of the Jewish people and the centrality of Israel in Jewish life. Those two things are really one. They are listed under number one, the unity of the Jewish people and the centrality in Jewish life. That means Jews are united with Israel in the center of its life, of its existence. This was in 1968. Remember, when Aaron David Gordon said that the intention of Zionism is to make Israel the central country of all Jews and diaspora Jewry, its colonies, that was way before 1968. Gordon died in 1922. Herzl died in 1904. And this was 1968. Israel's nation state law was not passed until 2018. That's right, Israel had not legally declared itself to be the nation state of the Jewish people until 2018, even though they had looked at themselves as such from the day of its inception. And the intent was to create Israel as such from the Beginning of Zionism. Israel's Declaration of Independence, again, they do not have a constitution. In their Declaration of Independence, it refers to Israel as a Jewish state, not the Jewish state. There's a big difference. A Jewish state is similar, could mean a lot of things, actually, and the ambiguity was deliberate. And what exactly they meant by a Jewish state is not clear even today. After all, a Jewish state did not mean a state run according to Jewish law, it wasn't run according to Jewish law, not at all. And it doesn't make sense that it should mean a state with a majority of Jews because that's just happenstance. You don't doesn't make sense to put into their Declaration of Independence the demographics of their population unless they intended to keep it that way. So does it mean a state that they intend to keep to ensure? Within it, a Jewish majority population? That's probably included in what they intended. But that wasn't clear. If you want to know what Israel means when they refer to themselves as the Jewish states, take a look on their website, mfa.gov.il. That's from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Israel. There you will find an article by Avigdor Lieberman that explains what a Jewish state means. Here are some excerpts. The term Jewish state refers primarily to nationality. Israel is to the Jewish people what France is to the French people, Ireland is to the Irish, and Japan is to the Japanese. In other words, Israel is not just a state where Jewish people can live if they want, that gives privileges to the Jewish people, but rather Israel is to the Jews what Japan is to the Japanese. Israel is... The cradle of Jewish identity to Zionists. In the Zionist mind, Israel contributes to Jewish identity the same thing that Japan contributes to the Japanese identity. Now, the reason the Zionists want this to be true is twofold. Fold number one, as we explained here many times, the goal of Zionism, the stated goal of Zionism was to create a new definition of Jewish identity from a spiritual one, from a nation that accepted the Torah on Mount Sinai from a people rather that accepted the Torah on Mount Sinai to a political nationality like the Germans and the French and the Japanese. But fold number two, by doing so the Zionists can demand the support and allegiance of the Jewish people all over the world. Although, Zionists claim that Israel is there to help the Jews. A reversal took place. The truth is more the reverse. The Jew- Israel expects the Jews to support it. Back in the 1920s, uh, after the Zionists formed the General Federation of Jewish Labor, which is what we know as the Histadrut, an organization whose goal would be to facilitate Zionist settlement training, and quote-unquote education in Zionism. In the meantime, the Arabs were rebelling because they were not willing to allow the Zionists the opportunity to fulfill their national aspirations in Palestine, where they were the vast majority of the population. They waged war against Jewish immigration, and there were riots against the Jewish populace in the streets. The Arab population then greatly outnumbered the Jews, even with the mass Jewish immigration that was taking place at that time, there were about a half a million Arabs in Palestine after World War One, and only about sixty five thousand Jews. The Zionist response to the riots was to tell the Arabs that the Zionists had behind them the entire international community of powerful and influential Jews, thirteen million of them all over the world, that they could mobilize at will Zionist Joseph Klausner. Wrote in Ha'aretz then, quote, If the Arabs imagine that they can provoke us to war and that because we are few they will easily win, they are making a huge error. Our campaign will include all 13 million Jews in all the countries of the world, and everybody knows how many statesmen, how many opinion makers, how many people of great wisdom and great wealth and great influence we have in Europe and America, end quote. Journalist Tom Segev comments on that quite correctly. Not only did Klausner's statement exploit yet again the image of the world's dominating Jews, it also was among the first expressions of the reversal that would eventually take place in Zionism's purpose. Instead of seeing the Jewish state as a means of saving the world's Jews, the Zionists were now demanding that the world's Jews defend the Jews of Palestine. And this conflation that the Zionists want everybody to have in their minds between Zionism and Judaism, between the Zionists and the Jews, is all over the place. Just recently, just today, yesterday, the day before, there were rallies against anti-Semitism, which has increased in wake of the Israeli war with Gaza. But a weird thing takes place at these, many of these rallies most of them for sure. I can't say all, but the, one, the ones that I've seen, there are Jews, masses of Jews at these rallies flying the Israeli flag. And there are speeches about how the Jews must support Israel. I saw a video of one speaker saying how Israel is proud of the Jews and the Jews should be proud of Israel, they should walk proudly in the street, proud of Israel. Instead of saying, don't attack American Jews because we are not responsible for Israel's actions, instead of that, they're waving Israeli flags. Is it any wonder then that people who hate Israel also end up hating Jews? This certainly does not justify inflicting harm on any Jews, just as a war would not justify inflicting harm on Israelis civilians, innocent Israelis, who are not combatants. But even if somebody would inflict harm on Israelis, or at least not even harm, just protest Israelis. They certainly would never protest the Chinese because Israel's at war with Gaza. And so too, there's no reason for them to protest Americans, including American Jews. But if Israel is to the Jews, what Japan is to the Japanese not Israel is to the Israelis which Japan is to the Japanese, Israel is to the Jews, then if somebody's angry at the Israelis, they'll be angry at the Jews. And you know, the Zionists knew this. They knew this would happen. During the hearing in the UN General Assembly that led to the partition plan, the Zionists sent representatives to argue their case. The most vocal spokesmen were David Ben-Gurion and Moshe Sharet. Amongst the particularly important arguments that Moshe Sharet put forth, he said that given the choice of creating a Jewish state with an Arab minority or an Arab state with a Jewish minority, the former was preferable since a Jewish minority in an Arab state would never be secure, but an Arab minority in a Jewish state certainly would. An Arab minority in a Jewish state would certainly be secure for two reasons. One, he said there would be Arab countries surrounding the Zionist state, quote, with which Israel will be most vitally interested in peace with, end quote, and therefore mistreatment of Israel's Arab minority would invite hostility from the Arab neighbors. And second, quote, because there will always be Jewish minorities in other lands, end quote. In other words, the safety of the Jews outside of Israel would be endangered if the Zionists mistreated their Arab population. And therefore, the Arabs in Israel are secure because the Jews all over the world are hostages. This was Moshe Sharet's argument as to why the United Nations should support the creation of a Jewish state in Palestine and not an Arab one. Because the Zionists know that the Jews all over the world will be mistreated. If Israel mistreats their Arabs, and Israel would never do that. So in other words, create a state for us because you have hostages. The Jews all over the world are hostages. Of course, people will end up harming Jews if we misbehave. And therefore, we would never misbehave. And this is besides the idea that if people believe the Zionists that Israel is the nation-state of the Jews, there's that distrust that people will have regarding the loyalty of Jews in their resident countries. Edwin Montague, the only Jewish member of the British cabinet at the time the Balfour Declaration was made, explained in Parliament in the UK why he was opposed to it. Again, the only Jewish member of the British cabinet was opposed to the Balfour Declaration. Quote, he said, When the Jews are told that Palestine is their national home, every country will immediately desire to get rid of its Jewish citizens. I would ask of a British government sufficient tolerance to refuse a conclusion which makes aliens and foreigners by implication, if not at once by law, of all their Jewish fellow citizens and I am not in the least surprised that the non-Jews of England may welcome this policy. I have always recognized the unpopularity, much greater than some people think, of my community. I would say to Lord Rothschild that the government will be prepared to do everything in their power to obtain for Jews in Palestine complete liberty of settlement and life on an equality with the inhabitants of that country who profess other religious beliefs. I would ask that the government should go no further. End quote. It made sense to Montague that Zionists and anti Semites would celebrate the Balfour Declaration because it strengthened both Zionism and anti Semitism. But why would normal Jews support this document, he wanted to know, which casts Jews as aliens and foreigners in their own country? And Montague was talking about the Balfour Declaration, which merely referred to Palestine as a national home for the Jewish people. The Balfour Declaration never declared Palestine as the Jewish state. There was a big difference. All the more so when the Zionists declare to the world that Israel is the actual nation-state of the people. It exposes the Jews to allegations of dual loyalty, whether they're true or not. The fact that Zionism is the cause of anti-Jewish sentiment amongst Arabs all over the world is impossible to deny. Even Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, a religious Zionist authority, perhaps the, arguably, the most prominent religious Zionist authority of the 20th century, said, at a religious Zionist at the Mizrahi Convention. Quote, There has always existed a hatred of the Jew amongst the people of the world, whoever was in power, Christians or Muslims. They pursued us. Nonetheless, in the history of Jewish persecutions, the Muslims were always relatively better than the Christians. We do not find tragedies such as the Khemilniki massacres in the annals of our communities in Islamic lands the position has now been radically reversed. He says that among the Christians, one hears voices of soul-searching, but the relationship between the Jews and the Muslims has been broken. Quote, what has brought about the wave of hatred that has engulfed the Muslim world? We all know that the major reason is the founding of the state of Israel, end quote. Who could deny that? Who could deny that? The equation is simple. If America bombs Afghanistan, the Afghanis will be angry at the Americans. If Japan bombs America, the Americans will be angry at the Japanese. But if Israel bombs Iran, the Iranians will not be angry merely at the Israelis, they'll be angry at the Jews. Because what Japan is to the Japanese, Israel is to the Jews. Needless to say, exacting revenge on innocent civilians because of military actions taken by their government, rightfully or wrongfully, is wrong no matter what. But whereas taking revenge against innocent civilian Israelis for what their government does is wrong, taking revenge against innocent Chinese people for what the Israeli government does is insane and nobody would do it. So too, taking revenge against innocent Americans, including American Jews, is insane, is absurd, and nobody would do it save for the fact that Zionism conflates Israel and Judaism, and this perception is perpetuated by Zionist Jews all over. Tel Aviv University's Cantor Center for the Study of Modern European Jewry Produces and maintains the most exhaustive data on anti Semitism in the world. And every year they put out a report on the status of anti Semitism worldwide in detail. They are political and they are Zionists, and when they start editorializing about their data, you should just turn the page. And even they admit, and I quote, as observed in the 2010 report. Anti-Semitism worldwide, prepared by the Tel Aviv University-based Stephen Roth Institute for the Study of Contemporary Antisemitism and Racism, since Jews and Israelis are often conflated into a single collective, events in the Middle East often provoke anti-Jewish groups and individuals into perpetuating hostile activities against local Jews." End quote. That's from the Stephen Roth Institute's anti-Semitism Worldwide 2010 general analysis. Even though Israel's effect on anti-Semitism should be self-evident as anti-Semitism constantly increases, consistently increases, when Israel gets into hot water with the international community, still Israel and their sympathizers deny this. Claiming that the concomitant rise in anti-Semitism all over the world, including lethal attacks at On Jews that take place whenever Israel is involved in controversy is a mere coincidence, and Israel is just an excuse for killing Jews, which everyone in the world wants to do anyway. But even if this were so, which it's not, Israel is not off the hook, because even if it's just an excuse, don't give them an excuse, because clearly, excuse or not, when Israel is not fighting with anyone, attacks on Jews are greatly reduced. The unarguable statistical fact. As noted by Tel Aviv University's Cantor Institute, is that, quote, there is a correlation between the intensity of conflict involving Israel and the level of anti-Semitism recorded in the Western world, end quote. There's a correlation between the intensity of conflict involving Israel and the level of anti-Semitism recorded in the Western world. When Israel is involved in a conflict in the Middle East, Jews all over the world suffer because of it. Anti-Jewish sentiment, including violent and murderous attacks on Jews, rises everywhere. When Israel is not involved in conflict, anti-Semitism all over the world is reduced. It goes down, and Jews are safer everywhere. You never hear much that anti-Semitism went down. But it does. It fluctuates. It goes up, it it goes down. And one of the main contributing factors to these fluctuations in anti-Semitism, is what goes on in Israel. And the reason for this is simple. Quote, Since Jews and Israelis are often conflated into a single collective, events in the Middle East often provoke anti-Jewish groups and individuals into perpetrating hostile acts against Jews. End quote. That's from the Stephen Roth Institute's Worldwide 2010 general analysis on anti-Semitism. Now, obviously, calling Israel the Jewish state, flying Israeli flags in America, flying Israeli flags at rallies against anti-Semitism here, claiming Israel speaks in the name of the Jews, that the Prime Minister of Israel is the leader and Prime Minister of World Jewry, perpetuates this dangerous and sometimes lethal myth about Jews and Israel. And yes, when Israel is not involved in a controversy, anti-Semitism all over the world goes down. From the 2013 report of Telviv University's Cantor Center for the Study of Modern European Jewry, quote, The relatively low Scandinavian number of anti-Semitic incidents in 2013 can probably be linked to the relative quiet in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the less prominent place, This conflict has received in the media and public discourse in Scandinavia in 2013. Now listen to this. With all likelihood, a new military operation or war between Israel and the Palestinians or someone else in the region would probably cause the same old anti-Zionist sentiments to resurface. We know this would happen. We know that if Israel gets into a war with the Palestinians or with Arabs, anti-Semitic attacks on Jews all over the world will rise. Quote, experience shows that as soon as the situation between Israel and the Palestinians or some of the Arab neighbor states turns violent, the number of anti-Semitic incidents in Scandinavia, as well as the rest of the world, increase as the local Scandinavian Jews are forced, forced to serve as scapegoats within reach for anger and frustration at Israel. Again, local Scandinavian Jews, as well as Jews around the rest of the world, are forced to serve as scapegoats within reach for anger and frustration at Israel. Who forced them to serve as these scapegoats? Who connected Israel and the Jews? Who made Israel the state of the Jewish people as opposed to the state of the Israeli people, like every other normal state in the world? Zionism and Zionists. It and they are responsible for this connection, this conflation between Israelis and Jews. In the 2014 report, quote a doubling of anti-Semitic events over the previous year Due to the conflict between Israel and Hamas, end quote. Due to the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Brazil, in Brazil, during the Gaza war, quote, anti-Semitism in Brazil intensified as never before during the Gaza war, end quote. Uruguay, Operation Protective Edge, led to an unprecedented wave of anti-Semitic events in Uruguay during 2014. Venezuela, In July, August, and the first half of September, following Operation Protective Edge that pitted Israel against Hamas, anti-Semitic events in Venezuela exponentially increased, including those promoted by government, through ministries, and the National Assembly. Scandinavia. Scandinavia experienced an increase in the number of anti-Semitic attacks in the second half of 2014 in the wake of Operation Protective Edge. This increase was noted in all three Scandinavian countries, Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. Egypt, Lebanon, quote, In response to Operation Protective Edge, Israel was compared throughout the Arab media to the Nazis and was accused of implementing their crimes. Morocco, in response to Operation Protective Edge, The rabbi of the Jewish community in Casablanca, Rabbi Moshe Ohayan, was beaten near a synagogue after evening services. According to the rabbi, the assailants said during the attack, that this is a, quote, revenge for what the Jews are doing in Gaza, end quote. For somebody to take revenge against any innocent civilian for what their government or military does is wrong and abhorrent, no question about it. But for somebody to take revenge against a non-Israeli and someone who is not even known to necessarily support Zionism because of what Israel does is not only abhorrent, it's absurd, and nobody would do it, save for the perception perpetuated, I should say perpetrated as well, by Zionism and Zionists and the state of Israel, that Israel is the state of the Jews. Greece, quote, some articles in the Greek press blamed Jews in Greece for not denouncing, quote, the genocide of the Palestinian people. The widely circulated newspaper, not sure how to pronounce this, -er Elifertipia, wrote on August 5th, 2014, The silence of the Greek Jews over the Palestinian genocide is loud, and those who are not silent, they speak of anti-Semitism that exists in Greece as well. So, if they consider us to be anti-Semites because we denounce their crimes and stand by the side of their innocent victims, the innocent victims of the Jews, in other words, quote, well then, yes, well then, yes, we are anti-Semites, end quote. Other articles justified anti-Semitic events in Europe by that time as a punishment for the quote-unquote, Zionists' crimes, end quote. They perceived the acts of Israel, the victims of Israel, as the victims of the Jews in Greece. This is not only abhorrent, but it is absurd, and this absurdity comes because of Zionism and Zionists, and the false idea that they spread, the false image of Jews, that Israel is their state. Germany, although anti-Semitic Sentiments on the whole did not increase from the already high number of 20% since 1945. Anti Semitic incidents and manifestations of all kinds, verbal and physical, rose sharply during and after the Operation Protective Edge in the summer of 2014. During the months of July, Through August, and also in the aftermath of Operation Protective Edge, the anti-Israel demonstrations received a momentum which shocked the political establishment, especially because of the fact that the violent anti-Jewish atmosphere, coupled with radical anti-Israel hatred, revealed anti-Semitic rhetoric never before heard in the streets of Germany since after World War II. Since after World War II. That's what the conflation between Zionism and Judaism has done. Australia. The Israel-Gaza war produced mass protests in Australia and the world condemning Israel. There is a correlation between the intensity of conflict involving Israel and the level of anti-Semitism recorded in the Western world, of which Australia is a part. This goes on all over the world. France, quote, the highest number of anti-Semitic incidents was in July and those were linked to the demonstrations against Israeli military actions in Gaza. United Kingdom, in 2014, 1,168 anti-Semitic incidents were recorded by CST, making it the worst year on record for anti-Semitic incidents. The single biggest contributing factor to the high number was anti-Semitic reactions to the conflict in Israel and Gaza. Now, not only did anti-Semitic incidents rise in reaction to the general controversy surrounding the conflict in Gaza, but even individual acts by Israel during the war, controversial, particular acts by Israel, resulted in particularly sharp increases in anti-Semitism. This is how granular the correlation is between Israel's actions and anti-Semitic attacks on Jews. Quote, Also of note that a substantial number of incidents were clustered between 28th of July when the Al Shifa Hospital in Gaza was reported to have been hit during the fighting in Gaza, and the fourth of August, when uh, the day after a UN school was reported to have been bombed, in between, on thirtieth of July, the UNWRA school in Gaza was hit, leading to nineteen fatalities. And the truth is, Israel doesn't even need to have an actual war to affect a rise in anti-Semitism. Whenever Israel comes up with a policy detrimental to a certain country, that country's Jews will usually experience a rise in anti-Semitism because they're perceived as supportive of Israel and its policy. In 2017, when Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu tweeted his support for President Trump's border wall separating U.S. and Mexico, a project to which Mexico was passionately opposed, anti-Semitism quickly exploded in Mexico. Not because of what Trump did, but in response to Trump's plan to build the wall, Netanyahu tweeted, President Trump is right. I built a wall along Israel's southern border. It stopped all illegal immigration. Great success. Great idea. His tweet was followed by icons of American and Israeli flags. Now, the Mexicans did not think it was a great idea, nor did they appreciate the so-called Jewish state meddling in their affairs with no motive other than to flatter Trump at their expense. The Jewish population of Mexico soon began suffering because of the association with the so-called Jewish state. Upon Israel's announcement of their siding with Trump over Mexico, online anti-Semitism in Mexico quickly skyrocketed. So much so that the Mexican Jewish community contacted Arye Derri, uh, of the Office of the Minister of Internal Affairs in Israel, notifying him that Israel's action, quote, caused frightening anti-Semitism, end quote, in Mexico and that the way to put out the fire is for Netanyahu to clarify that there was a great difference between the wall he erected to prevent terrorists from entering the country versus the wall Trump wanted to build in order to prevent people from crossing the border to find work. The Mexican chief rabbi, Shlomo Towel, asked Derry to, quote, try to explain this for the good of the Jews here in Mexico and throughout the world. Simple enough, wasn't it? But Netanyahu refused. The only thing Netanyahu does, the only thing the Zionists do, when their actions and the association between world Jewry and their actions, which they perpetuate, which is their ideology of Zionism, increases, is like what Netanyahu did after the anti-Semitic incidents in France. They say, Israel is your home. We condemn anti-Semitism, of course, but Israel is your home. Israel is your home. Come move to Israel. Zionist organizations all over start saying, We don't feel safe in France or in America or England anymore. Articles are written. Is UK safe for Jews anymore? Should Jews move to Israel? A rabbi in Muncie of a synagogue where a lunatic came a couple years ago with a machete and started attacking people was contacted afterwards by the Israelis begging him to move to Israel. He said, he said, this rabbi, that they would give him, they offered him anything to move to Israel. They want people to think that it is not safe for Jews anywhere in the world except Israel. But the Mexican Jewish community, a community of about 50,000, did what they needed to do to protect themselves from the danger unleashed by Israel. As reported in the Jerusalem Post, quote, the Central Committee of the Jewish Community of Mexico, the Umbrella Organization of Jewish Communities in Mexico, promptly released a statement distancing Mexican Jews from Netanyahu's statement. Quote, they said, we do not agree with his point of view, and we strongly reject his position, the statement read. As Mexicans and Jews, we support the actions taken by our government, led by our president in the negotiations with the U.S. We stand in solidarity with our fellow citizens who live, work, and contribute to the neighboring country whose human rights should be respected at all times and who should receive dignified treatment, the group added, end quote. It was the perceived association between Israel and world Jewry that triggered that anti-Semitism and is that association that needs to be broken, quote, for the sake of Jews here and throughout the world. The same thing happened in May 2010 with the flotilla incident. You remember what happened? Israeli commandos raided a Turkish flotilla that was headed for Gaza in international waters of the Mediterranean Sea. Nine members of the flotilla were killed, including one Turkish-American and many others were wounded. Ten Israeli commandos were wounded and one seriously. The incident caused a major controversy and the breakdown of Israeli-Turkish diplomatic relations. Israel claimed then that the flotilla was really a terrorist boat sneaking weapons in to Gaza, and the Turkish claimed that it wasn't. Three years later, in March 2013, Israel's prime minister, I should say Israel's then prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu apologized to the prime minister of Turkey on behalf of Israel. Israel eventually offered Turkey $20 million in compensation for what they did in the raid. Now, when this happened, I had somebody in my synagogue uh, who, who was a Turkish Jew. He was an immigrant to America. He lived in Turkey, and he still had a brother there. And the brother had told us that, after the flotilla incident, Jews in Turkey were so scared to go out, rightfully so, not just that they were paranoid, they could not go out of their house for weeks, even to the synagogue. The chief rabbi there of the Jewish community in Turkey said that the Jewish community has to ensure the populace that they have nothing to do with the state of Israel. The chief rabbi said, that in order to alleviate the anti Semitism caused by Israel's actions against Turkey, they must communicate to the Turkish populace that they are Turkish Jews and they have nothing to do with Israel. This was a perfectly sensible but difficult mission, seeing that Israel's claim to be the nation state of the Jewish people has gone largely uncontested for so long, both in Turkey. And around the world, by most Jews. Yet, the Turkish population correctly understood that it has to be done better late than never. So, several prominent Turkish Jewish personalities, not religious, publicly declared that the Jewish community has no responsibility for the actions of Israel, nor should any Turkish citizen be perceived, this is important, as having any particular opinion on Israel's actions because of their Jewishness. Being Jewish has nothing to do with Israel. Following your excerpts from a letter released by Turkish columnist Sali Azal, writer Rani Margulis, economist Cem Bahar, and radio host and activist Avi Haligua Israel's latest attack on Gaza led once again to cries of, Why does the Jewish community remain silent? A campaign was even launched that claimed that. Jews of Turkey bear responsibility for what Israel does in Gaza, which is, by the way, exactly what's happening in the United States. They continue, No citizen of this country is under any obligation to account for, interpret, or comment on any event that takes place elsewhere in the world and in which he or she has no involvement. There is no burden on the Jewish community of Turkey, therefore, to declare an opinion on any matter at all. It is anyway not possible for a community of 20,000 to declare a unified opinion. No human community can be monolithic, and the Jewish community is not. Its members include people of all kinds with a great variety of views. The Jewish community of Turkey cannot be held responsible for what the state of Israel does. It is racism to hold an entire people responsible for the actions of a state, a foreign state that is and we wish to declare that we are opposed to this. We, the undersigned, are children of Jewish families in Turkey. It is incumbent upon us to express an opinion on the attack on Gaza precisely to the same degree that it is on any other citizen of Turkey, no less, and certainly no more. Throughout Zionist history, before the State of Israel, And even more so after the creation of the state of Israel that claims to be the state of the Jewish people. Just as citizens of Afghanistan would be held responsible for the acts of their government, Jews are considered to Israel what the Japanese are considered to Japan and the Italians are to Italy, which is a bigoted, racist attitude, but an attitude and an idea that is promoted and promulgated by the government of the state of Israel itself. Those are literally Netanyahu's words, and literally Avigda Lieberman's words on Israel's own website. This anti-Semitic, bigoted, racist idea that the Jews all over the world are represented by the state of Israel is what Zionism is. And just like the Jews in Mexico realized, and the Jews in Turkey realized, and the Orthodox rabbis realized, Laman Hashem for the sake of God, whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, please tell the world that Zionism is not Judaism, Israel is not the state of the Jews, and it does not, and its actions. And behavior does not represent that of Jews all over the world. If we want to actually do something about the anti Semitism that's increasing all over the world now, we really can do something. It really is within our power. Talk, talk to people, use your social media, say it. Judaism is not Zionism. Israel does not represent the Jews. Israel is not the state of the Jews. Israel is the state of the Israelis. You do that, you'll make the world into a better place for everybody, especially for the Jewish people. Thanks for listening to Committing High Reason. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. For the latest from Rabbi Shapiro and to sign up for his newsletter, head on over to committinghighreason.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.